Welcome to the Christchurch Oceanside Podcast, a faith community on Vancouver Island within the Anglican Network in Canada. We invite you to check out our website at ChristchurchOceanside.ca, or if you're on Vancouver Island, join us on a Sunday in the News Bay. Today's message is brought to you by our pastor, Father Ryan Matchett. We hope you enjoy. Bless you. Our reading is from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 7, beginning in verse 12 to the end of verse 14. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to you, Lord Christ. Well, welcome back to the Christchurch Oceanside Podcast. That's Pastor Ryan here. And today is going to be our last time that we cover the Golden Rule before we move on to some other texts here in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, last week, what we essentially looked at is this, is that the Golden Rule is made possible by Jesus alone and is the only way to live that does not bear the fruit of destruction. So hear that. That that is really fundamentally important. The golden rule is really the only way to live that doesn't lead to or cause or create or bear the fruits of of destruction. Human attempts at moral living will never reach the heights of righteousness that our internal ideals witness to being truly good and right. And so this is what we find, this struggle of going, I know the good that I truly believe in, but I can't get there myself. And so we believe in Jesus to make that possible. And the truth is, any attempt at morality without the saving, transforming, and empowering power of Jesus is to allow a substandard vision of goodness, because it's one that we think we might attain, or where we say, the little that I can do, or the little that I might do. I mean, that's close enough, right? But the reality is, is that the golden standard of Jesus is so much higher and so much more beautiful and is really what we want. Jesus has been showcasing this in different aspects all through the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying your spiritual life is made for goodness. 
Your emotional life is made for goodness, and the same as your mental life is made for goodness. Your sexual life is made for goodness. And truth-telling and living free of anxiety and free of judgment and, and having a clear sense of what your treasure is, where your heart longs for, this is the good way of Jesus to have clarity from inside to outside, from private and personal to intimate and relational with others. That there's no room in the good way for retaliations, for violence, for hatred of others. And so I think what I find increasingly is that when I really wrestle with the truths of Jesus and his teaching, I do find that my desire is testifying. It resonates inside of me. That what Jesus is teaching is the true goodness that I want. And that true goodness is doing unto others the same as I truly wish others would do for me. And anything less is actually evil. This we know also. Our souls testify to the impact that less than good has upon us. We know it to be wrong. We know we need justice for those things. We know what we're made for is beauty and goodness, and we can tell the difference. And anything less than the golden rule is evil, and we can feel that difference. We see its impact, and we see the impact of our sins upon others. We know when we are participating in systems of evil, our consciences are nagging in the back of our minds. And we know when they lead to destruction. We also know when we are contributing to that. So why do we do what we hate and what we know to be wrong and what we know has wronged us? Why do we continue to perpetuate it? Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. A gate into goodness is narrow. It cuts out all the double standards and the moral flexibility and the illogical justifications and gymnastics that we tend to try and do to allow ourselves to keep doing what we know we don't want to do. The narrow gate is in the shape of Jesus. There's only enough room for Jesus, and he's not less than the gate. Like, he fills it to full. It's the imprint of goodness, is him. But it means in order for us to follow him through that gate, there's no room for self-provision. There's no room for self-defense or self-preservation or self-priority. It requires a singular devotion to Jesus, who is our standard of goodness, because there is only one standard of, good, of goodness, which has not only been spoken about, it's not just an idea that Jesus has presented, it's an idea which Jesus has idealized. He has a, accomplished it Fully, he is the epitome of the goodness that he throws out 
that he dreams about with us in the golden rule, he perfectly accomplishes it and goes beyond it. The gospel of Jesus, as we see in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, is so much more good than we could have ever dreamed up. Jesus is the standard. So when he speaks of the narrow gate, this is what we're talking about. It's not easy. It's intentional. Now, on the flip side, what Jesus goes on to say is that there's also a wide gate and an easy way that leads to destruction. It's almost as though there's a current in this life that does much of the work of pulling us along what seems like the easy way, but like a river that's rushing downstream and being pulled and pulling everything with it, at the end of it is a fall, a waterfall, and it leads to destruction. Jesus is saying that this other, these other ways of living that aren't the golden rule, that aren't the high, beautiful, good way, Every other way leads to and amounts to destruction. That the selfishness that's in work in me, looking for shortcuts, looking for easy pleasure, stuck in the ruts that I don't want, is pulling me down and pulling me towards destruction. That there's a selfishness that's become the norm and is the standard. And it's as though there's a great crowd behind you pushing you forward along. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those situations, whether a concert or a sporting event or a fair or something like that. But if all the crowd is going in one direction, boy, is it ever hard to resist that push. That's what this life is like in this broken, fallen world. But also the selfishness that's at work in just other individuals. Those sins committed against us, those exploitations and hurtful things that take place with them that intentionally pull you into the way of evil. It's almost as though it's all easy because it, it does all the work of motivating you to seek to do all the work for yourself. This is the opposite of the good way. I take care of me. I get what I want. I, 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 I. And when the whole system is pushing you towards I, to yourself, it eventually seems more easy to just say yes to the current, to the pressure, than it is to continue to say no. And the system rewards us for our striving and for our selfishness sometimes. It seemingly celebrates our hard-wrought successes, even if it is at the expense of others. But let's be honest with ourselves here. Is it really rewarding us? Is it really celebrating us? Is that how you feel? Sure, there might be a small percentage in the world right now that feel like their labors are being rewarded. But if ever there was a 1%, it's there. Do you feel like your labors are being rewarded? Do you feel like you're being celebrated for your hard work? Heck no. 
I think that even in and of itself points to the reality that this doesn't just lead to destruction, it is destruction now. And sin and this world in it is not a victimless crime. It's personal and it's generational, meaning that the sins are fathers against sons and mothers against daughters and brothers against sisters and onwards. It's familial, it's societal, and ultimately, it's a sin against perfect beauty and goodness and all that is righteous. That's why our consciences cry out. We're not just sinning against individuals, we're also sinning against a cosmic good, against God the Creator, Savior, and breath of life. And that's happening in the here and now. It's happening in our own hearts. It's happening in the hearts and lives of others. It's resulting in the destruction of the earth. And what's so sad about all of this is that not only is there destruction now, and more coming, but there's destruction eternally. But that destruction is actually good news for those who are in the good way, because it's the destruction of evil. It's the destruction of darkness. It's the destruction of the poison that is working within all of us and destroying us from the inside out. We want that destruction. But Jesus is warning us here that if we don't give ourselves, not only to the golden rule, but to him to make that possible, then we are giving ourselves to be counted among the rebellion against goodness. We choose, it's not a benign choice, we choose instead to become one of the legions of evil against all that is good. And when we face judgment, answering the accusations against us with, well, everyone else was doing it, and I couldn't help myself, and I didn't mean for it to be so hurtful, our excuses will not drown out the cries of our victims. Our sins are not victimless. Our choices are not benign. They have serious impact upon us, upon others, upon our neighborhoods as a whole and our society that we live in. It all matters. And Jesus is giving value to you and value to your life and value to your choices and saying that they matter. But they matter because they either bring about life or they bring about destruction. In this way, this path and gate that leads to destruction and horrors of the heart and the soul and of the creation itself, those who enter by it are many. What a heartbreaking statement. Imagine you're going to spend your whole life toiling after wealth and success and comfort, betraying your inner ideals and desires for goodness in order to somehow produce a self of significance, only for all of that work to lead to what? Total 
destruction, inner destruction, familial destruction, and those you love most, who you said you were doing it for, destruction of your neighbors and neighborhood and country, even the soil and the skies and the seas will testify to the destruction that humanity has wrought upon it. Because why? Because we insisted upon being counted amongst the violent? That we wanted stand to stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder with what? The haters? The greedy? The demonic? We will have fought for the cause of death that worked to burn all that we truly and ultimately held dear. That we will be the ones who set aflame generosity. That we will be the ones who killed and dug a grave for goodwill. That we will be the ones that slaughtered love. We do not want to find ourselves running off a cliff that ends with the realization that we have lived life patterned after greedy dragons or joined the armies of darkness. These are the stories within our cultures that testify to these realities. We know this to be true. We know evil's at work. We know that hate is always devouring. We know that greed is always taking. And we know that love is always under threat of violence. We do not want to be a part of that slaughter. And Jesus Jesus is offering us an alternative. It's not an easy one, but it's a better one. And if we're honest about the way that this whole thing is going, it doesn't feel easy, it doesn't feel free, it doesn't feel fulfilling, and it's not leading to more goodness. But the offer that Jesus is giving us is a different way, where the gate is narrow and the way is hard. And it's hard for the right reasons. Because what is unnatural to humanity has become natural. Sin and evil. My inner nature without Jesus wants to work against goodness. And we see that like rudder stuck inside of us, always pulling us in the direction we don't want to go. Why, as soon as we're tired, or as soon as we're hurt, or as soon as we're disappointed, do we pull towards evil? The way of Jesus is hard because it's inviting us to let him turn that rudder. And that's a hard turn. And for him to do all the work instead of us take care of ourselves, that is a difficult shift. To go, I am not the main doer of my life or the hero of this story. He is the main doer, and he is the savior, and he is the hero, and he is the one that gets the glory. That's a hard turn. It requires getting out of the currents of sin, which move us swiftly, and embracing instead the slow walk with Jesus. The wide way makes us feel like we can get things done fast. The narrow way with Jesus is slow. 
It's about resisting instant gratifications and pleasures to sink deep into the truth underneath it all that love made this place. That the natural world is attesting to the fact that we are out of touch with true goodness and beauty. That we're letting go of instant gratifications and pleasures for the sake of seeking after higher goods and brighter beauties. Being countercultural is not easy. I'll be honest, it's confusing at times and lonely and is threatened and attacked by many lies. Consistently, I feel the weight of the current around me saying that I'm a failure, saying that I should be more successful, saying that I should be further along. Further along from what? Love? Presence? True beauty? Jesus says for those who will believe in him, he'll rescue them out of that current and put them on a narrow path that leads to a narrow gate through which it takes everything in you to focus upon Jesus to stay on. And when you stumble and you fall and you find yourself veering back to the old path, Jesus comes and gets you. Jesus pulls you back. Jesus waits for you and calls to you, catching eye contact with you before the end. But the life that he's promising, hear it in verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard, that leads to life. It's a promise. This leads to life, inner life, life in others, life in your work, and ultimately eternal life. Life is, you know, if we're to understand destruction, just understand it as the opposite of life. Life we're talking about is never-ending perfect goodness. That it lifts you always, empowers you, strengthens you, encourages you. The picture here of eternity with Christ is ever being lifted into more love. Ever enjoying more goodness. Look, I'll be honest, if you struggle with the idea of Jesus, you don't find yourself believing with him, Here's the challenge point that I would give you. Is I still think, even if you're not quite at the point of like true personal faith in Jesus, listen to this whole vision. Is he saying a life of selfishness and without love will lead to a life of destruction? We know this to be true. Here on the island, go visit seniors' homes and see that feeling of like, Where's my family? Where's I worked so hard, I did so hard, but I'm disconnected from those I love most. There, It's a testimony to the system of our nation, even. It's not to say there's no life in it or that there are not those who have faith. I'm not saying that, but there's a lot of pain and sorrow in those spaces. I go in them consistently. But when you look at that and you go, there's there's just some logical conclusions to go. If I live this way, it results in destruction. The golden rule, on the other hand, following Jesus, what does it lead to? It leads to life, practically. 
It just makes sense in those ways. But then is the next step that we have to go all the way. These are Jesus' final words in this section. Those who find it are few. It leads to this fundamental question. How are we to be counted amongst the few? The few that find life are the few that have been found by Christ. Because this is the point. We can't ultimately achieve the golden rule by ourselves. We need a Savior to pluck us out of this current. We need a Savior to turn the rudder within us. We need a Savior to empower us towards the goodness we hold to and believe in in the depths of our soul. We need our consciences to be realized. And what our conscience is bearing witness to, we need a Savior who can accomplish that within us. How, though? How do we be counted amongst the few? Repent. Repent of this other life and believe in the one whom he has sent. Believe in the saving power of the sacrifice of Jesus. Believe in the life to come. Believe in the love enough to give up hate. Believe in mercy enough to give up judgment. Believe in hope enough to give up your scratching and clawing survivalism. Believe in the narrow gate. Because you know, you know that you know the wide gate is bringing nothing but pain and disappointment and suffering and ultimately destruction. Believe in the man called Jesus of Nazareth, who has done many signs and wonders that attest to his divinity that he has been sent by God. Believe in the saving cross of Christ to wash you and cleanse you of the world of destruction and to save you from the eternal destruction to come. Believe in the resurrection of a new life that you might be born golden again, that you might be born into and unto the standard of righteousness, that you might enlist in the cause of goodness to pursue beauty and to always and in every circumstance prefer others over yourself, knowing that Jesus has preferred you over himself. This, my friends, is the narrow way, the way of Jesus. Turn from the wide way that leads through the gates of destruction and find instead the fulfillment of your wildest dreams of goodness in the person, work, and eternity of Jesus. Jesus.